LOL, the Sundance March. <laughs> oh. Like, no wonder they fucking hate Hollywood. <laughs> Chelsea Handler marching in Sundance. Uh. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and welcome to Lady Problems, where every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of ladies look at the way that pop culture has treated women in a given week. It's almost always terribly. This week, we've got our OG co-hosts here. Hello, Hazel Sills. Hi. And Teo Bugby. Hello. And MTV News culture editor, Leah Beckman. Hi. So we're going to talk about the Oscar nominations and the utter horror that we're all experiencing at the fact that Annette Bening was not nominated for 20th Century Women. Really, this is just an excuse for all of us to talk for a very long time about 20th Century Women. And then later, we're going to talk about all of our experiences at this weekend's women's marches. The very valid criticisms of the march, our own fears and hopes for what comes next, and how we all peed. Later, we're going to break our no man on this podcast rule and answer a lady problem from a man because it's a funny one. The Oscar nominations came out this week. We all have very strong feelings. Uh, Teo, I know that you have particularly strong feelings about nocturnal animals being nominated. I just, I can't believe that anyone fell for nocturnal animals being a good movie. (laughs) It's like so clearly a bad movie in drag as a good movie. And it's not even like a fun drag. It's just bad. I I don't know. It's like offensive to me. It's (laughs) offensive to me as a gay person that Tom Ford is getting away with this. I am one of those people who uh, was duped, I guess. (laughs) I thought it was so funny. And (laughs) Amy Adams being constantly exhausted is one of the funniest thing in like insane outfits with like her hair totally parted over to one side and like I guess I didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> it's so funny to me. I I just, I really had like the best time watching it. I thought it was crazy. Yeah, I <laughs> think you can enjoy it if you don't take it super seriously. And, like which I didn't, did. and yeah. I never would take any of his movies yeah. seriously. <laughs> I really appreciate that um, everything he makes is, looks like a perfume ad and it's just like fine with me. I don't know. I would appreciate that more if he wouldn't get so arbitrarily offended then about people asking him in interviews about being a fashion designer, where he's, like, walked out of interviews if you ask him about his films, like... What? He just, like, won't talk about it. It's like he's offended to be associated with I his fashion. I think you just hate him. I, I <laughs> but think I that also, is what I it also is. think fashion designers are like that. Like, they, they oh want to be referred to as, like, this creative is... visionaries and, <laughs> and artists and tastemakers. It's, like, so offensive to me. I can't get past yeah. it. It's, like, the idea that he would be in Best Director with Mel Gibson but not <laughs> my girl Kelly Reichert. I don't know. I mean, that's crazy. I'm not at all defending that. I think that it, this is all an insane circus and, like, just you should burn in hell. But <laughs> I still thought it was really fun and great. And um, Jenna Maloney in Nocturnal Animals was so incredible and so funny. When she shows her, she shows Amy Adams a picture of her baby. I think it's her. Maybe it's a, maybe it's another character, but she shows her a picture of her baby sleeping on a on a like a nanny cam, and Amy Adams screams and Jeff drops the phone and it breaks. 
because she thinks she sees like a scary thing on it. And it's just it's that's the funniest thing to me. <laughs> yeah. Like I I kind of liked La La Land. I liked La La Land. I but La I don't La Land. think it deserves all of the bajillion awards no. that it's getting. I feel the exact same way. I was like, that was a cute, like, delightful film. But, yeah. like, I have no... I, like, immediately forgot about it when I left the theater. Like, I wasn't thinking about it. It's not, like, an Oscar-worthy situation for me. And also, it's just, like, Hollywood just jacking off to itself, which is so annoying to me. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I was thinking about it afterwards only because there was, like, a literal think piece a day <laughs> about Ryan Gosling mansplaining jazz. <laughs> like, he, he really did. I don't I know Ira wrote about that um, for us, but it really was, like, I couldn't believe no one had flagged that. Like, yeah. Do you think maybe a white man shouldn't be explaining jazz to, to a woman? Yeah. I mean, I also was kind of down for La La Land, but— yeah, that it has four. It's, it's the most nomin- tied for the most nominations ever. It's, it's wild. <laughs> what is I it mean, tied with? Uh, like mm, Titanic, maybe? No, yeah. like one of those Lord of the Rings movies. Okay, so actually, <laughs> this actually all makes sense. Yeah. Titanic, Lord of the Rings, and La La Land. Great. What's the problem? I think like <laughs> one of those is definitely wrong, but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> not Titanic. Titanic is the best movie of all time. Okay, bold statement. <laughs> It's not even the best Kate Winslet movie of all time. <laughs> I use Titanic as like a way to stop laughing in inappropriate situations. I just think about that movie. And then you cry? Yeah. Or? or I just like, am I able to stop laughing? I feel like I think about Titanic <laughs> and I do laugh. <laughs> it's like so sad to me. <laughs> the saddest thing you can think of. Tape two, obviously. Well, right. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. It's um, just Rachel watching the spit scene all over, yeah, exactly. over and over again. Over and over, just weeping. Mm-hmm. Um, th- my, another one that really bothered me was that um, Taraji was not nominated for Hidden Figures, which she was the best part of that movie. And Janelle Monae was so good in everything this year. I feel like they should have just thrown her something. You guys, my parents called me special to say that I needed to go see Hidden Figures. <laughs> oh, h- parents. I mean, everyone loves Hidden Figures, but parents are losing oh, yeah. their shit. <laughs> my, oh, yeah. par- my educator parents yes, of cannot course. get enough. Yeah, They're like, this is how we're going to incorporate into the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> they loved it. Amazing. But obviously the thing that upsets us all equally, we all had very strong feelings about Annette Benning and 20th Century Women. Teo is fresh off the 20th Century Women boat. Right. So I actually saw 20th Century Women this morning. I'm the only one here who saw 20th Century Women after the Oscar nominations. <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting offended while crying in the movie theater. I always love Annette. I would follow Annette to the ends of the earth, but this is mm, this is peak, peak Annette. She is so good in that movie. It's insane, and it makes no sense that she was nominated for a Golden Globe and not for an Oscar. It's just like what ha- I am still convinced that they made a mistake, and tomorrow morning they're going to be like, oh, we just left her off, but she is nominated. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leah, I think that's because you haven't seen the masterpiece uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> that is true. I haven't. <laughs> uh, Another one that moms are loving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I recently watched that, and I just was very confused after I finished watching it. I, I haven't like, seen it. It's just like, wh- why? It is, um, speaking of trolling— that is like Meryl trolling the Academy. Like she spends that whole movie being the the world's worst opera singer, and so she's singing really badly. But the look on her face, the whole movie, is one hundred percent like you're still gonna nominate me for this. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. And they, they did. did. 
it's so crazy. She is having the time of her life. Oh, man, that rules. That almost <laughs> makes me feel better about Annette Benning. I actually, like, I there's never there's no way to find out if that's really the case, but I hope so, like, from my core that that's what was happening, that she was like, this is insane. I've fooled everyone. <laughs> Nominate me, bitches. She like barely. She barely left her house this whole campaign season. Poor Annette had to sit through one of those Hollywood Reporter roundtables. Oh God, <laughs> Annette. Can mm-hmm. we explain maybe what the movie is? Yeah, please do. Um, okay, since I just saw <laughs> it, this is yeah. I have to be the one to say it. Um, and 20th Century Women is a movie by the filmmaker Mike Mills, and he based it on his own childhood and his own mother and all of these female figures in his life who sort of raised him. And, yeah, it's just a coming-of-age story with an unknown little boy actor, but then also Annette Bening as his mom, Greta Gerwig as, like, a benevolent not-sister-sister sister figure, and Elle Fanning as, like, his little friend. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, we were talking about this the other day, like I, you you pointed out this was like sort of essentialism, but I was kind of like irritated that I was going to see this movie about all these amazing women that was written and directed by a dude. And obviously by the end of the movie, that was completely gone and I was crying hysterically and then I interviewed him because I was so in love with the whole thing. But I mean, I wonder, like we were talking too about this idea that women don't always get the chance to direct such personal emotional coming-of-age films and the ones that have been released over the past couple of years are sort of like cast what's the word I'm looking for cast aside like like for example the diary of a teenage girl which everyone said was like pornographic and like condoning child sexual like statutory statutory rape rape, exactly um so I just think it's interesting it like I have I'm of two minds about it where I love the movie so much but also it's a little frustrating because it's like I can't even think of another example of, like, an Oscar nominated. I mean, this was nominated for screenplay. But an Oscar-nominated, like, women's personal story. Yeah, I think what makes this movie so great, um, and it's not something I necessarily knew or realized while I was watching it, is that the characters feel so real and fully fleshed out because they were so based on the real women in his life. Like, Greta Gerwig's character was based on his sister who actually had cervical cancer and Annette Benning was based on his mom and Al Fanning's character was like a composite of all these teenage girls he knew um, when he was a teenager. So in a, in a way it's like I, it it feels a little bit like I, I allow it because <laughs> <laughs> these are real women's stories and he's clearly handling those stories in such like a nuanced mm-hmm. careful way that it's just the what ends up on screen is just works so well and feels so real because yeah. it's based on real women. Right. Tara, I know you have thoughts on on the Elle Fanning uh, career trajectory. Well, Elle Fanning, I mean, as much as it's hard to find films about female coming-of-age stories, like Elle Fanning, as much as you can, Elle Fanning has. Um, she really had her first big role in Sofia Coppola's Somewhere, which is a movie I really love. And she's sort of been at it since. And in some things, she's sort of like the kind of accessory to a boy protagonist, you know, Super 8 being Mm -hmm. a good example. But in a lot of things, she's like Ginger and Rosa. And in this, she's playing a really fully fledged character. um, And she's given a chance to have a full psychology for those characters and have 
backstories and, you know, be able to have like an artistic experience as a girl growing. You know what I mean? I think that's something that's really beautiful, been beautiful to watch as like an audience member um, that she's been able to grow in her roles, that it's she's not kind of stuck in one mode of performance. She's not sort of been pushed into having the branded version of Elle Fanning. Right. Um, yeah. So I really I admire her for that. And I hope she's able to continue that. She also does get every movie for girls of her <laughs> age bracket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone that doesn't go to uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, God. Very different. Don't you <laughs> dare. <laughs> She's over 18 now, and I'm so happy because it means I can openly hate her. <laughs> my heart just fell straight through my butt. I can't believe you would ever compare those two. <laughs> They're just both very successful. So, yeah, I don't know how we started talking about Chloe Grace Moretz, but the point is that Annette Bening should have been nominated and everyone should see 20th Century Women because it was really fucking good. And I also think one last thing to add to that conversation about male filmmakers making movies about women. I don't know that uh, the thing that I get frustrated with in the film industry is like men making personal films. It's just the lack of the right. opposite. You yeah, know what I, I mean? Agree. So totally. like I, I can still be really moved by the work of a male artist and a male artist making stories about women. I don't really think that there's a reason why men wouldn't be able to tell women's stories. And I think like that mindset sometimes to me lets men off the hook for lacking empathy you know what I mean like having filmmakers whose whole careers they never make films about women um, because like they just can't occupy the mindset and it's just like have a conversation like please (laughs) I just want more films by women right totally for both yeah Yeah. I also I love Billy Crudup and would definitely smash but it's so (laughs) funny to me how he always um, is exactly the same and speaks so slowly and I I'm confused and I like that he's only in movies about the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I would also smash, but I can't stop thinking about when he left Mary Louise Parker. Oh my god. I know. I also remembered that watching the, yeah. the movie and was like, "No, go away, <laughs> but don't always but don't. never forget." It's like I, it's got to be in the back of your mind when him, you're thinking about smashing. Yeah, so I kept thinking about him and uh Mary Louise Parker and then yeah. Greta Gerwig and Jennifer Jason Lee. It's so rough. Dude, life is complicated. Just a couple of homeworkers. <laughs> just a couple of homeworkers having <laughs> sex on screen. In the 20th century. I actually just realized, when I remember when I saw Greta Gerwig uh, at, what's it called? What's that Italian place called that is like very like Greta scene-y. Gerwig is so hot in this movie. She, Sorry. I saw her and she had pink that pink hair, so she oh, must have been she filming. Been and it. I was like, what? That's, that looks so awesome on her. I, I love her. I think she's always great. True. How know? is it possible that Mel Gibson is nominated for Best Director? He is... An evil <laughs> person who would murder everyone in this room. Yeah, true. <laughs> Accurate. I thought the Jews controlled Hollywood. I don't understand. It is true. Why he's nominated. Everyone has such a short Mel Gibson memory. It's just like horrifying. I don't. I don't. I refuse to. That's that's why Everybody, I'm not seeing Hacksaw Ridge. Not because it looks like garbage. I'm just garbage. shocked that Jodie Foster has this much influence in Hollywood. Yet, <laughs> where are her movies in the nominations? <gasps> oh God, what her does movies he have on her? Do not need to be nominated. Okay, listen. <laughs> I love Little Man Tate, and you can't take it away from me. Money Monster is <laughs> the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh my God, I have Midnight seen Special. It. <laughs> <laughs> 
we all went to the Women's March this weekend. None of us went together. Me and Teo and Hazel went to the New York March, and Leah was in D.C., and we had very uh, different physical and emotional experiences. I am curious, Teo, do you want to start and tell us about how it went for you? Sure. I initially was feeling ambivalent about going to the march. I, I've, like, gone to protests, you know, before for various issues, um, and sometimes they can be a bit emotionally overwhelming for me, where Rachel and I have talked about this, but sometimes the part of me that left Catholicism gets really freaked out by <laughs> chanting with a bunch of people at the same time. Yes. And so I was sort of feeling out of it that day, and my parents were coming up to visit, and then basically we got brunch, and I was like, we need to leave here. We need to go to the Women's March. <laughs> and so uh, forced everyone to go up to Manhattan and go to the march. And I had I had a good time. I mean, there are – it was really exciting being a part of a, a movement that was that large. Um, there were millions of people that marched in the day in different locations around the world and around the country, and that's really exciting. But at the same time, um, it still was a little bit alienating to be in a crowd where uh, Trump has just been inaugurated. And there are a lot of things that I'm worried about before I'm worried about my pussy. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) How? I know. And I saw that David Brooks article today and I was like, oh, God, I've got to change my opinions because I don't want to be in line. (laughs) But it's true that, you know, it's just not the first thing on my mind. Um, And it was at it was nice in a lot of ways seeing people so jazzed to chant about reproductive health and women's rights and, you know, Planned Parenthood. But also at the same time, I wish I saw more Black Lives Matter signs. I Mm -hmm. wish that um, in general, the area that I was in, I was by Trump Tower, uh, was very white. It was really nice seeing how many different generations of women were present, but it was not as diverse as I might have hoped. Um, And yeah, so I, I had a bit of a mixed bag experience. That said, I was there with my parents and they had a blast. <laughs> they had the time of their wow. lives. All right. Um, Leah, what about you? Well, I went to uh, D.C. and I, I mean, I as soon as the, the march was announced, I booked tickets and was on board from the beginning and very nervous and, you know, I was like worried about crowds. I was more than crowds actually or um, protesters protesting the Women's March, I was really worried about police. I was basically convinced I or people around me were going to be arrested. I was, like, prepared with a lawyer's number. I just, I because that's what protests with the same peaceful intentions have been like so far for people. And then to get to the march and realize that and see that there was almost, I saw, truly, I think I saw, three police officers and I was there from you know 8 30 until five and um that was impossible to ignore you know I mean that is that is really that's infuriating but also at the same time it was an incredible experience it was like unlike anything I'd ever um encountered before it was so overwhelmingly peaceful. Um, I felt 
I really I did see a lot of Black Lives Matter posters and chants. I also love to chant. <laughs> so I girl. felt like that was, yeah, it was the camp thing. I felt like that was very uh, cathartic. I could have done without the uh, creepy tweeter one. That's an unfortunate one, <laughs> unfortunate chant. Um, Will you please do yeah, it Yeah, you have us? to do the chant. Yeah. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> we need a leader, not a creepy tweeter. That's so bad. Oh, God, that's but, I'm like so embarrassed. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I, uh, but I, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very, it's a really important um, conversation to have, and it's really complicated. I mean, I, I, I read um, Kara Brown, the writer at Jezebel, wrote a really um, thoughtful piece about why she didn't like the the women's march in L.A. Um, it was really nice to um, watch her sort of unwind her complicated feelings about it as a woman of color, as someone who. Um, a, understands how important it is and how incredible it was that all of these people, women specifically, showed up. But also she described it as having a woohoo girl vibe, <laughs> which I thought was perfect and exactly what it was like. I was I was really shocked at how um, celebratory it felt. I was sort of expecting it to be just, I, you know, I think everybody here is constantly since the election full of rage and a lot of really confusing emotions and this was this felt like we were celebrating the opposite like some something good had happened instead but i i do think it was really incredible and unlike anything that we've seen maybe ever and i also think that those those rage marches. I think this is just the first one, and those are coming. You yeah. know, I I really don't believe. I refuse to believe that that this is just that this was just a, a fleeting occurrence. I think that you know people will be back in another year. You know, when we are worried about our pussies for real, <laughs> and you know, and and I think that those are going to be the um, those are just going to have a different vibe. And I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was, it, yeah, it was really unlike anything that I've ever experienced. And I, and also just you cannot argue with those pictures, you know. I mean, the, the like, sight of all of those stupid pink hats <laughs> that honestly I didn't even know what they were until I thought they were ovaries at first. And yeah. then someone explained to me that they're cat ears. But anyway, the sight of that is, like, how can you not be moved by that? I mean, with with all of the you know, complicated yeah. parts of it. It's just that this was historic. and Wait, it was cat ears? I thought it was supposed yeah. to be like a pussy from above. Like flaps or something? Like someone's no, like, no, no, like, like a, labia? Yeah. <laughs> was it? I don't, I don't know. know. It looked like labia, though. <laughs> Do you like pointy-eared labia? I think it's, yeah. I, I, I don't. Okay, I thought that it was, well, never mind. I thought that it was like if you held the hat like this, and the opening. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, you see yeah. what I mean? It would have yeah. been like a I only saw cross it as cat section. Ears. <laughs> that's even that's even more annoying that it's cat ears. That makes me mad. Um, Hazel, what was your what was your take? Yeah, no. So Give I, us your cold take. Yeah. So I really uh, agree with Leah about the fact that like it when I went uh, on Saturday, like it was very weird that everyone was so excited to march. Like I honestly 
was like when it was first announced, my mom and I were like, we're going to go to D.C. And then I felt really weird about it um, because it wasn't being advertised as a specifically anti-Trump march. And I was like, I don't know. Why can't we just be mm-hmm. outspokenly anti-Trump? And um, so then I don't know. I just wasn't sure if I was even going to go to the march until like the very last day because I just I didn't want to march, like not because I was lazy, but because like. The idea of having to march for something so basic, like, really freaked me out. And, like, even being there, some of the signs that I saw, like, every time I saw a sign that said, women are people, I was like, what? (laughs) How is that a sign? I know. Like, how is that, like, a radical, not that it's bad, but, like, for someone to think, like, this is the radical statement I'm going to put on my sign, women are people, like, really freaked me out. And while when I was there, I I did appreciate the funny signs and the illustrations and stuff that people put on their protest signs, like just the overall like happy, funny vibe of the march did kind of freak me out. But I think you're right that those that those rage marches are going to come. It was just weird. I do. And I think it was weird. I, I just I also and I, you know, the like aesthetics of feminism all the you know I but I I get the frustration there and it's not for me but also I I truly feel like there's no right way to do this right now you know and if it comes to having people show up with their stupid slogans on their shirts or not I would take that in a heartbeat you know like what is the other option here and I will say that um I listened to the leaders of the the march, they, I watched an interview with them and then I, they spoke um, at the rally itself and they talked, they were very clear about how this is the privilege for most of the women there to just now be getting angry when they're all of like this is if if Hillary had won, for example, and we were there celebrating people would maybe be under the illusion that things are fine and that we're doing Mm -hmm. great and that it, you know, for so many white women, this Trump winning was like such a wake-up call and what a privilege that is. And we know that. And I really, what I really liked so much about the march is that they kept repeating that, which of course gets lost. There are a million people there. Mm -hmm. But also they were, that is, that was the point of it. It was like, this is to protest, you know, everything that has been wrong and... I also think with a march that big too, you don't you don't have to be there for the same reasons. It's more important just to like physically be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I think the biggest thing to come out of this will be that there were just multiple millions of people. That's like such it's unprecedented the size and like the scope of how many marches there were and how large they were in American history. That's a, it's incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's like a huge. Um, development and something to like feel good about yeah yeah as long as it doesn't go away and that's right exactly right Right. so that's something that I wanted to talk about too is like what comes next what are we going to do I personally feel like there are a million there's so many things to do that I can't like figure out what I can actually do to contribute to you know the cause of like not having the world end um so I don't know I like what are you guys thinking about I know that there's been a lot of articles about that Anne Friedman had a great one in New York Magazine that was like five things you can do after the women's march the march itself has been talking about like in the next 10 days write postcards to your representatives that kind of stuff but what about what are you guys thinking I mean to me continuing to 
be a physical presence at protests is so, so, so important. And it's something that we've been lacking Mm -hmm. in this country for a few decades, really, since like the Reagan era. That's that spirit of protest that was like really active in the 70s sort of died down. And I think that's like a really powerful direct it's direct action and it's a direct way to make change. And like as much as, you know, you might want to have like the cathartic moment of being like, yes, I've changed it. You know, change doesn't really come Mm -hmm. about that way. It's just sort of slowly committing to being a more active part of the community that you live in. Mm -hmm. And so like go to a Black Lives Matter protest, you know, go to a Dreamers march, you know, go to Pride, like go to different groups events, you know, like this was a march for women's rights, but there are many other issues to be to be supported and that need support in that way, need physical support. And I think that's like a really powerful way to impact your community yeah yeah I also feel like especially you know right now like feminism is better IRL like yeah (laughs) like instead of you know going to tweet something or like going to a blog like I will talk to my friends and like protesting is a part of that and like yeah and just being there you know whether while I didn't you know agree with every sign or with every reason why a woman was there you know, just being, you know, among women who are enraged or people who are enraged and, and talking to each other in person about what you're feeling is is so much better. I think I basically just told people to, like, get off the internet. <laughs> yeah, I totally like uh, these retweets or whatever instead of actually being there. It's just it's not the same. But also what we keep talking about this, I think – just over and over again acknowledging that for the people who are really enraged for the first time, that that is a privilege, mm-hmm. that that is not how everyone feels. And like that in itself in itself is so important. Yeah, you know, like completely. I can completely admit that that's me, you know. And, yeah, me too. And, and where was I, you know. And, and there's nothing you can do about that but change it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I like, I don't know that I've felt the same kind of, constant rage because I think part of it is that you know I was involved with stuff before this moment with Trump um, and involved like you just in life trying to be aware of what's going on Um, and I think maybe in as in as much as Twitter is annoying and in as much as that kind of like armchairism is annoying um, there's also something to really be said for kind of going through the slog and picking out the things that are actually useful that people are sharing mm-hmm. um, because some of the some of what's going to make the next four years very difficult is that so much changes so slyly like a, the house uh, introduces a bill and then it gets passed and then you're like well what the fuck like why why did I not know about this you know part of it too is just trying to keep yourself, out of those feelings of intense emotionalism so that you can focus on like just doing like the dumb rational things that are kind of helpful you know like calling your reps when there's a bill that you think they might support that you don't want them to support you know I'm from Pennsylvania and my rep is a Republican and so like I'm on the phone with him a lot or like I'm on the phone with his mailbox (laughs) 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 relatively often Um, and I think that's something that 
it feels useless, but is actually quite important, especially in numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and and with consistency. And so, yeah, as much as the rage factor and the exhaustion um, are hard to dissipate, that's, I think, weirdly a part of our civic duty now, you know, and, and your duty to yourself. Mm-hmm. So feel better, everyone. <laughs> Hopefully the march could do that for, for people. Now it's time for this week's lady problem. This is from our friend Charles, and he is a man, but we're making an exception for him because his question is extremely basic and could be answered on WikiHow, but we think we could do better. (laughs) Hi, my name is Charles, and I'm currently in the process of dating and trying to do dating, um, which is difficult. And So my question for, for the authoritative women of lady problems is what are... Uh, you know, walk me through an ideal first date from a women's perspective. What do women like on a first date? What do women not like on a first date? Uh, yeah. Okay, thanks. My advice for you, Charles, this is Teo, is that on a first date, you should be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll make things a lot better. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Leah, what's your ideal first date? Do you want to share? April 23rd. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> I think about that line every day. That's all I have to say to Charles. Google it, my man. Hazel? You are such a Miss Rhode Island. It's not even funny. Your personality, I can see I'll take that as a compliment. My idea of a great first date is uh, you take me to a nice restaurant and you buy me all the foods and then you leave. Like, I I don't know. I don't know. Charles, like... Man, I don't even think he's like he's uh, starving for dates. I feel like he's just fucking with us at this point. Although, um, wait, I do want to say this is actually. I feel like I have a lot of um, single friends who are very frustrated because it's impossible to meet, at least in New York, impossible to meet men IRL. It's like mm-hmm. only happening on apps. So, Charles, I don't want you. I, w- I don't want to discourage you from politely. And respectfully approaching an interesting woman in a bar in the right way, use do eye contact. (laughs) If she is not interested, immediately leave. You only get to ask her two questions. If she does not elaborate, you have to walk away. You can approach women. I don't want to say that to any men listening. You should approach them. That's a really good point. It's a true thing. There's no, like, initiating, which is, you know, people want that. Some people. Not this person. Not Certainly not this person either. Don't approach me. <laughs> In any context. Ever. Please don't. Even right now at this podcast. I mean, they're just like a man is going to bust through the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go on a date with me. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my, of like a good first date sitch. I'm, this is like a joke, but also real. Like I would love to go to a, a cemetery on a first date. Oh, that's hot. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Make sure that you call and leave us a message with your lady problem. Maybe next time don't ask us how to take people on a date unless you're our friend and we know you already. But we're here to answer any other questions that you have. Call us at 205-677-5239 or tweet us at Lady Problems Pod. Thank you to my co-hosts, Hazel Sills. 
Thank you. Thanks, Teo. Thank you. And thank you, Leah. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a rating or leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find us and it helps us feel better about our lives. I'm Rachel Handler and we'll see you guys next week. Hi, listeners. If you love Lady Problems, and I know you do, you should also check out another MTV podcast, Speed Dial. Hosts Doreen St. Felix and Ira Madison III navigate the excellence and messiness of music, film, and more through guests, analysis, and listener voicemails. Tune in every week to hear segments like Feedback and Keep It, as well as interviews with guests like Kelly Rowland and JoJo. You can find it right beside all of MTV's podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite shows. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.